0: If you're digging the content, leave us a rating and review as that helps us and other fans of pop culture find us. Enjoy the show. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the What's In My Head podcast. I'm joined today by Debbie Dady. Debbie, how are you?
1: Hanging in there. Thanks for having me, Julian.
0: Anytime. So there was two books growing up. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the co-author for The Adventures of the Bailey School Kids. One of my favorite books from the elementary school and I'm so glad because I get to pass it down to my oldest son and I'm going to pass it down to my youngest son as well this book series um and uh I remember fifth grade I want to say is when I really started to like want to go to the Scholastics Book Fair and look at more than just the posters or just the cool animal books or just the cool pencils and erasers and stuff this is before cell phones ladies and gentlemen so you'll have to uh I just have to go with this for me you have to understand uh pencils were the thing back then the cool erasers you would get the scholastic book fair but one thing i always wanted to get was the bailey school kids books and the harry potter books and we talked briefly about this and i wanted to bring it up uh, actually before we get to that when did you and marcia connect and have this idea for the bailey school kids do you remember
1: I was stalking her actually. Um, <laughs> we were both teachers and uh, hadn't met yet. She was at a school in Lexington, Kentucky. And I got married and, 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 and uh, started teaching at a little school in Versailles, Kentucky. And to me, she had taught at that same school at the position I went to in first grade. Mm-hmm. And she left and went to another school. Well, I found out why she left. And <laughs> I, after teaching there a couple of years, I went to the same school that she was teaching at, and took her first grade position, because she decided to go to third grade. So I was like stalking her all this time. <laughs> and then uh, one day we were both, believe it or not, exercising in this, this school um, had like this weight room, and we were lifting weights, pumping iron. And uh, we just got to talk, and uh, I didn't know her real well because, you know, we were like at in different ends of the building. And, uh, but we chatted and we said, you know, I've always wanted to write a book. And I went, oh, you know, I didn't, I've always wanted to write a book. And I had written this really terrible book with like line drawings for illustrations. It was really bad. Uh, but Marsha is the kind of person who says, well, let's do it. And so the very next day we sat down at, at uh, in, at, table in our school cafeteria called the teacher's table and we started writing stories together so I stalked her until until I caught up with her
0: (laughs) well I mean some sometimes you just got to follow some people around until uh until something good happens I suppose um was the first idea you guys started kicking around collectively was it the Bailey school kids or were you guys just brainstorming
1: we actually wrote for about a I think it was like a year and a half before we were um, I had a really bad day. <laughs> we we were both teachers. Well, at that time I had become the head librarian and we were, uh, had been writing together for a little bit. And the kids in the school were having one of those days where they're kind of goofing off and acting silly. And I noticed in my library, but when I went over to my friend, Marsha's computer lab, where we were going to work on a story together during our lunchtime, she met me at the door of her classroom. And she said, these kids are driving me crazy. I can't take it anymore. She said, I think I'd have to be some kind of monster teacher and have horns and things, have steam out my ears and shoot up 15 feet tall. And when she said that, I went, oh, Marsha, I like that idea. I think we should put away this real serious story we've been working on. And we should write a story about a teacher like that. And that's where Mrs. Jeepers from the Bailey School Kids came from. And actually, when we were um, trying to decide what our character should look like, we were sitting in my office. Um, in my uh, library and the um foreign language teacher came in and she spoke with an accent and she had long red hair and long fingernails and when she came in we went oh that's what we want our main character to look like so that's where miss teepers came from
0: does uh does the foreign do you remember the foreign language teacher's name
1: Yeah, Mrs. Green. Mrs. Green, uh, you're listening, Mrs. Green. Thank you so much.
0: (laughs) Does uh, Does Mrs. Green get a royalty check every year? (laughs) She should. (laughs) Yeah. So, what was what was that aha moment like? You, You guys have this idea for this book series, or at least this one book, and then you have your main character as that teacher. At what point do you take all of this and say you go to a publisher and say I would like to make this a book, or was that just a lot more work in the process, I guess.
1: Well, we wrote the entire book and thought that was it, one book. And um, so we sent it to, actually, one rejected, two rejected, third Scholastic, and they bought it. And um, they bought it very quickly, actually. We were really excited. Um, Marsha came in to to my office where we were going to go to lunch, and the phone rang, and it was an editor from Scholastic, and they Mm -hmm. said, We really like your story. Vampires don't wear polka dots. We want to buy it and make it into a book. And I was so excited. I literally danced on the tabletop in my library. I was like, yes. (laughs) And, but we didn't think of it being a series. Uh, But when that book came out, it uh, did really well. It sold 250,000 copies the first month it was out. And we thought this is exciting. You know, maybe we could do it again. And so we wrote another book based on the same characters but it wasn't a series it was just with the same characters and we thought well how could people know that it was the same kids if there wasn't something uh, you know alike about it so that's why we came up with the titles being similar Uh, vampires don't wear polka dots werewolves don't go to summer camp santa claus doesn't mop floors and that's where that came in And it wasn't until actually the sixth book came along uh, that um, Scholastic asked us if we would like to write four books, four more books in our series, and we said series it's not a series, but that's when they turned it into a series with a series logo and actually um, we kept getting rejections for the first six we would write like werewolves don't go to summer camp it was rejected twice before we got it right ghost don't eat potato chips was rejected I think it was six different times wow we changed it totally from beginning to end until we got it right so it wasn't easy I'd like to say it was easy but it wasn't easy we kept trying and um, nobody told us that you should give up when they say no because we just (laughs) kept trying Uh, and thankfully it it worked for us
0: so what is it like obviously We talked uh, briefly before, and for the fans that listen to my show, they know I cook in the restaurant. What is it like, as far as your profession goes, doing something collective with somebody else like this? Because everybody's got their their strong suits and their weak points, and I'm pretty sure you guys cancel each other's weak points, and you guys enhance each other's strong points quite a bit, just working with with each other, because you guys have worked together for so long. Um, but what was that initial? I don't even know how to really ask that. Other than what was that initial? Just sit down when you're writing that first book. Like, was it hard trying to get each other's, you know, weaknesses and strengths and stuff going? Or what was that like? I guess is what I'm getting at. Well,
1: I think uh, in the beginning, neither of us knew what we were doing. Maybe it's still true. <laughs> I don't know, but. but uh, We we were so fledgling in beginning writing Mm -hmm. that we kind of supported each other. And Marsha is much more literary Mm -hmm. uh, than I am and uh, more flowery and, and more descriptive. And I'm more bare bones and I like action. And so the two of us together kind of made a whole new writing style yeah. Uh, you know, between the two of us. And, and I th- the way we actually did it was we sat down together when we first began and we wrote saying it out loud.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: one of us would say, oh, well, what about this? And then we'd add that and we like, oh, maybe we should do this. And then we would print it all out. And one of us would take it home and like be our homework to look it over and then bring it back and kind of we say we played hot potato because we would toss the story yeah. back and forth between us. So, um, especially when I moved away to Texas and we uh, had to start writing long distance, which was a little bit more challenging.
0: How Cause you, we'd always
1: done it sitting down together.
0: How, how would you guys do it back then? Would you guys just call each other on the phone or?
1: Well, <laughs> see the Vamp- uh, Vampires Don't Wear Poked Us came out in 1990s so uh, it was with the sixth book that I had actually moved to Texas from Kentucky where we had both lived um, and uh, and taught to, in, in the same school and um, that was when Scholastic said well, we want you to write four more books in the series and we're like well we had thought we were done we thought we would never write again I can remember standing on the door of my blue house in Kentucky uh, going like oh I guess it's the end of our writing career we'll never write again and then we got this call from scholastic will you write formal books in your series and we're like well, well we got to figure it out so you know this was before the internet mm-hmm. this is how old i am sorry <laughs> no, okay. uh, but we we actually faxed our stories back and forth and we would underline everything that we changed and you know we would take turn do go back and forth like that and i don't know how we did it because uh when, when we started, you know, just sending files over the internet, we were just like, "I'm gonna change it. I'm gonna see if she notices." <laughs> so, so it was like we were much more, a little bit more uh, freer with our changes, and and we, I think we had learned how to work together. And uh, sometimes Marsha would put some some things like um, uh, she'd just be riding along, and she'd say, "And then Eddie." <laughs> she, she would say something just like totally off the wall like Eddie took a flying leap and f- ran into the wall I don't know she would just say something crazy and I'm like what <laughs> she said just checking to see if you're paying attention she would just t- t- <laughs> say totally off the wall things just uh, just for fun uh, but we we did have a good time writing those stories and, and coming up with uh, um, things that the kids would do between all the years of teaching experience that we had, mm-hmm. we had some things well, to gotta draw imagine. on.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I got to imagine you had a, you had quite a few muses, if you will. Um, <laughs> yeah. So w- with that being said, Scholastic comes to you and says, hey, let's do four more. I got to imagine that that's life-changing in a sense that you're like... Uh, I one you probably never thought that you would get to write one, let alone at that time six. I think is what you said. Like so, six total books. You're like, holy crap! This is just this is coming. In. Was the pace like was it was it the pace quick and heavy, or did they give you enough time to really you know write them out?
1: Well, we were writing for a while, twelve books a year. Wow. Uh, for s- <laughs> <laughs> several years and it was between like a bailey school kids book one year and then it'll be like a triple trouble the next mm-hmm. in bailey school and then when the triple trouble was done it would be like uh, bailey city monsters and so there were several other series mixed in when we were writing the bailey school kids as well so yeah it was it was a pretty tight deadline uh to write an entire book and we got to where uh to make it um I guess more streamlined we would come up with a plan
0: mm-hmm.
1: and, and I mean we had always come up with a plan like a rough outline but we would do like a couple sentences of what would be in each each chapter our editor would read it and say uh I don't think this works or yeah I like that so we knew before we even started writing it that we had a good plan yeah that our editor liked what we were going, what we were going to do. And I still do that with my newest series, like the mermaid tales. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll send an outline to my editor and, you know, if she doesn't like it uh then we'll figure out how we need to change it <laughs> um she she was not gung-ho on my story that comes out next year it's um mermaid tales uh, <coughs> titanic friendship she did not want me to write a book about the titanic but i really really wanted to and so i talked her into it and uh, i hope it does well or i'm going to be in trouble
0: <laughs> so have you had the And I want to get to the and for the life of me, I've been I've been trying to figure out since we talked because I was like, nope, I'm gonna remember his name. Uh, I'm gonna remember that name, and I can't remember the illustrator's name for the Bailey School Kids, the original illustrator. The
1: original um, illustrator was John Stephen Gurney, John and Stephen we Gurney. just recently had a little program with the Carnegie Center in Lexington, Kentucky, where he he joined us for mm-hmm. a chat. So that was real fun to get to connect with him. I had we did never met John until we had done twenty five books together with him. Wow! And then we all wow. went to a, on a school visit at the same place, so that was kind of fun to get to meet him. Uh, but the the program that I was doing had the newest illustrator because there's actually been three different illustrators and the newest illustrator. I don't know if you've seen it. It's uh, um, it's the Bailey school kids. Yes. Uh, Vampires don't wear polka dots graphic novel. And mm-hmm. so Pearl Lowe did a great job of changing the characters, which was kind of crazy when we uh, um, first saw it, we're like, how come you change, you know, our beloved characters that we had, you know, they were our friends and we knew everything about them. And, um, but uh, I think, it was good just have a more diverse group of kids for the oh, yeah. graphic novel
0: yeah you give everybody something to look forward to and everybody sees themselves in each character um yeah so what was it like trying to find you know an illustrator did did they did scholastic and by they i mean scholastic did they suggest like hey we should put this in there or was that a conscious effort you guys thought of like well we wouldn't be put some art in these books
1: oh no they um uh, definitely came up with the illustrator. Mm-hmm. Um, we wrote the story. They said, this is what it's going to look like. And this is what the cover is going to be. And we're like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and as we, uh, as we got a little bit, you know, further along, we would make suggestions. Uh, and sometimes there would be like mistakes mm-hmm. on the cover because sometimes we were writing the books as they were creating the cover and they would be making the cover, or John would be making the cover just based on like a little sample, uh, like like a little paragraph of what the story was gonna be about. And sometimes there would be like mistakes like in Genies Don't Ride Bicycles, there was a um, uh, supposed to be a wire fence in the story that we had written. But then I think when the cover came out, it was a wooden fence. And so we had to rewrite that part of the book because the cover was already in production so you know there was little things like that sometimes that had to change but um yeah we didn't really get a say in the illustrations it was just the way it was
0: <laughs> now uh was he a teacher as well and then he did illustrations on the side or was he just a straight artist from the get-go
1: yeah he was a, a, as far as I know a, an artist and still is and he's you know, publishing. He's not only illustrating books, but he's also publishing books now too. I see.
0: Oh, that's pretty cool. Uh, it all comes full circle. Um, what was that like? You, you said at Carnegie Carnegie Hall, you guys did a little reunion.
1: Oh no no it was a it's a, a Carnegie Center in Lexington, Kentucky. They just oh. uh, organized a, a Zoom for us to do for. Um, uh, it was was well, kind of a reunion. It was it was fun.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I got to imagine it. It it brought back so many memories from seeing those original covers back on the day, from the books and the Scholastic book fairs, and I, 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 you know, alluded to it just a little bit before we started and before we went down. Uh, you know, how these books came to be. Um, but one memory that sticks out very vividly when I was in school, elementary school in particular, was two books came out that I always wanted to get. Um, Harry Potter, of course, that was one of the biggest books of all time. I mean, adults, kids for everything. And the Bailey School Kids was another book. Those are the only two books that I can remember saying, hey, I, I, I need these books. I, I want to read these books. But one big well, thing.
1: thanks. I appreciate it.
0: <laughs> no problem at all. Uh, one, one issue that I had, though, and it wasn't even you know my issue, it was a lot of the parents were trying to get both of these books banned and pulled from the Scholastic Book Fair and especially in florida where i'm at um you know we were a part of the bible belt to an extent uh you know it was very i don't want to say very religious but it it had some it had some religion in it uh but they were trying to get these books pulled you being the author co-author uh what what was that feeling like i mean did you have to field any questions with some of these parents or was everything going strictly through scholastics at that point
1: well um we we were challenged. The Bailey School kids uh, were challenged in one uh, school district, Noblesville, Indiana. As a matter of fact, uh, where uh, where they were hosting, I think uh, uh, International Reading Association, which I was planning on attending. So I was a little concerned. I was gonna. They were gonna show up with like, uh, you know, I don't know. Science pitchforks or something, I don't know. <laughs> but um the school uh did something which I did when I was a school librarian. If somebody challenged a book, which happened, um mm-hmm. I would give them a form to fill out. And the first thing on the form said, you must read the book.
0: Ooh. I like that. Entirely. Yeah.
1: Because if the the people and it was apparent when uh, Noblesville, Indiana sent uh the original letters that the parents said Um, uh, shared about wanting those books removed from the school that Mm. they had not read the books. Mm -hmm. Uh, I'm a Christian and I don't want to write anything that would hurt anybody in any way. Um, And one of the reasons Scholastic trusted us with writing books about different monsters was because I was a librarian and she was a school teacher and they thought that we were safe to approach these kind of subjects and um one of the books they asked us to write was a book about witches and we were like we don't want to write a book about witches that was kind of scary because actually when i was a librarian there were uh there was a a, two students whose parents were witches and they abused them Uh, so i didn't really want to go there yeah so but scholastic really wanted us to write a book about witches so we we tried to make it as lighthearted as we could and we Used every fairy tale possible in that book to make it not sc- not horrible, not scary, but more uh, fantasy mm-hmm. and lighthearted. And um, so we were, we've always, I think we've always tried to be a good mix of, of using folklore and um, myths and legends uh, to make the stories not not something that parents have to be concerned about yeah. but and yeah. and to add enough humor in it to make it lighthearted and not scare not scary that's not to say that you know it's for every child because some children like to read a little bit more scary stuff than some children should not read scary mm-hmm. stuff um in our books some of them do lean a little bit more more toward a little bit of scary which you know it's I think a parent has right to 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 read their own children's books and make choices for them. I do not think, however, parents have the right to make choices for everyone. Yes, one hundred percent. Every every child is different, and every child. That's why there's so many different kinds of books, mm-hmm. and there's should be choices. And and um, but. I was proud of the Noblesville people because they did uh, have uh, parents who were very upset. It was like a group of six parents. Uh, One of them was the ringleader that uh, got them set. And from their letters, I could tell they hadn't read the books. Um, Some of them couldn't spell the books, but (laughs) we won't go there. Spell spell them correctly, but but, um, but, um, they they did what I thought was the right thing. They had a, com- a group of teachers get together and a librarian and study the books and make f- recommendations. And they said that we think these books are appropriate for third graders and would like to continue using them. Well, all the other parents, except I think one said, okay. And that one child had, when, that, when our stories were read had to go to the library and not hear that story because you know, what that child was doing whenever she got the chance or he got the chance, they were sneaking that book to read it because there's nothing that a parent can do more to make a child want to read a book than to say, oh, you can't read that book.
0: Oh, 100%. Once you make something forbidden, (laughs) I I want to, I'm so glad that you're a teacher because there's one thing, let me just get it real quick. There's one thing that I think more, I wish more people did. Now, that's my bookshelf back there. I was actually trying to find my original copy of, uh, um, man, my mind went blank. I was uh, just trying to find my co- a copy of The Vampires Don't Wear polka Eyes. I don't know where my mind was going. I think my, my <laughs> oldest son might have it in his room, but I couldn't find it. The one I bought from the Scholastic Book Fair back in uh, back in the day when I was going through elementary school, I still have it. And I thought it was on my my shelf, but when I came up here for the Zoom call, I was gonna look for it. I'm like, look, I I'm an OG fan, I'm an original fan. I got my original book here, and then I I can't find it. So, but uh, one thing that <laughs> well, I
1: actually, I'm glad that he's reading it. That's awesome. Tell him I said hi. <laughs>
0: well, um, one thing that I absolutely love, and I, I I I don't think there is enough of it is is good teacher or teachers that care enough right and as that's, that's not a slight against teachers because it was just my my personal um I guess it was just my trial or my tribulations through school. I didn't have very many teachers that felt like I they cared about us really. I had two or three that I can specifically point out. Um you know my Italian teacher Miss Ray, uh my favorite teacher of all time, she actually I'm not going to get up and get the other book, but she actually I would always read the same books through high school and I was I wasn't reading at a high school level because I just didn't care about reading. I didn't really care about school. I didn't want to be there. I wanted to play basketball. I wanted to cook. I wanted to hang out with my friends, That's all I wanted to go to high school for. Um, and I would always skip. Usually you skip out of school, but I would always skip into her class because <laughs> her lunch, her lunch break was the, um, my, my, the next period was my class with her. So I'd be able to do the schoolwork that I neglected to do. And then she would let me turn in for late credit. Um, and then she would always see me reading like the same couple of books. Right. So I would read, uh, holes. Uh, I believe Louis Sacher wrote, wrote that one. Um, and then Maniac McGee from Jerry Spinelli was one of my favorite books of all time. Um, and, uh, I would always just read one of those two books. And then she looked at me, she's like, what are you doing? And I was like, reading what are you doing and she was like I've seen you read that book three times in the three years you've been here already because it's on junior senior somewhere on there and I was like yeah but I like it because I like how it ends I'm not going to be disappointed I like the story it's fun it's cool and I've been reading this book since the fifth grade and then she's like why don't you try something different and then she takes it she had a little bookshelf right by her little podium and she's all of like five foot tall so she would have this podium that she wasn't really tall uh, tall enough to see over. So she had a little step to get on. And then so she takes this book and I'm about six foot two, six foot two and a half. Um, so she takes the book of my uh, of mice of men off there and then throws it on my desk. And she's like, read this. And I think it's like 60, 70 pages. It's a very small book. It's something I could read within 45, 50 minutes. So I read it. I'm like, holy crap. This is one of the greatest things I have ever read in my life. And then I was like, what do I do now? And she was like, well, go read something else that's your level. And I was like, I don't know. I don't know what to pick. What should I pick? And then she took one of her personal books. And I, I can't remember what Stephen King book it was, but she took it out of her bag. And she's like, I just finished this, read this and bring it back to me. And I was like, oh, my God, I was blown away. I was like, "If this is what books really are. I mean, I've been holding myself back by only reading these two books every, every year. Um, so she was one of my favorite. She's my favorite teacher of all time. And I had another teacher named Miss Burgett. She's my culinary school teacher or my culinary school teacher in high school. Um, and she would always just challenge me to do better. Like, you know, that was OK, but you could do better. Come on, man. You need to be a leader. You, if you want to do this, you have to try. You can't just coast through life. And then the one teacher that I always think back to and it's fifth grade and she's no longer here, unfortunately, um, she was an older teacher uh, when I was in uh, elementary school, but her name was Mrs. Gravely. And then she would read, and I don't know if you've ever read this book or heard of this book. Um, this is actually Mossflower, but it's Redwall by Brian. Jott. Oh yeah.
1: My oldest son loved Redwall. I, I I read it aloud to him and I thought, because he was going to a point where he didn't want to read. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, I don't want to read this, but I'm, I actually was at a, a, a conference or something where Brian Jakes spoke and he was so good. I thought, oh, I'm going to read this to... To my son, oldest son, and I think he might like it. And I didn't think I would, but I liked it. We were like, yeah, like stealing the book to read the next chapter to, uh, yeah, Redwall is a good, good, it, good book.
0: It really is. And then I the I was th- this close to uh, being actually able to talk to to Brian a few years before he died. And then he was going through some, uh, I don't know if it's medical issues. He was just going through some issues and like, ah, he answered my, my email, which I was super grateful of. I just want to say, hey, I love this. I really appreciate it. Um, And I told him the story, uh, you know, Mrs. Gravely, every class or every uh, time during lunch, because you could eat lunch in the cafeteria or you could take a lunch and go back up to the class and then you could she would read to us essentially during her off period. Right. So every character had a different voice and then she would sit on this stool. Right. And then she would do this. She would sit on the stool and she would turn around as Clooney the Scourge, which was the evil rat. And then she would have her (laughs) eye covered and her lip would be snarled and she would talk in these really cool voices. And then she would use her hand as a claw. Yeah. So it was it was always so vivid. It was always so fun. And then uh, we had the—I I can't remember the coach's name—but that's how I found out about uh, Maniac McGee was the coach, our uh, fifth-grade coach. Uh, he was this little Italian guy, and he taught us how to play bocce ball. I don't know if you've ever heard of bocce ball or played bocce uh-huh, ball. Oh yeah. But uh-huh. he taught us how to play bocce ball, and he—he he also taught us how to gamble on the side. He was like, you know, if you want to make money, you just put a dollar down. This is how this is how us old timers do. Yeah. So it was <laughs> it was the '90s, so it's okay. Um, but uh, but so he would come up. Uh, during like once a week, and he would read a, read us a chapter from Maniac McGee. And that's how I found out about that book. Um, so, you know, it's just a long, long-winded way of saying like what you and Marcia have done, not only for writing these books, but having an invested interest in, in these kids' lives that you guys have taught, or I'm pretty sure you've been a librarian and a teacher for a little while as well, that you recommended some books to somebody that might have been just like me that didn't know what to look for, didn't know what was... I, Everybody's got to be challenged, so I got to assume that that you help somebody along the way is what I'm getting at. And if we need if we need anything more now than ever before, it's teachers like yourself, teachers like Mrs. Gravely and Miss Ray and Miss Burgett. Um, we need teachers like that to have an invested interest in our kids' lives because this is the future.
1: And librarians too. I'm yes. I'm a big big uh, supporter of librarians. I think we need more librarians in schools and not just. Um, um, paras uh you know not just assistants uh a lot of school systems have taken has ta- have taken to like hiring one librarian for like 10 schools yes. well of course one librarian cannot be split between 10 schools but that's what they do and then they have just an assistant uh, but a, a good library can make a huge difference in a school and actually that's how um i can we came up with the idea to write about monsters um that uh that coupled with <laughs> having a really bad day there there were in my library there were kids who practically fought over this one group of um, monster books this one series about how you make how they made different monster movies mm-hmm. and the kids loved those and i'm like wow kids really like to read about monsters uh but um i always thought that there's a book for every kid. And it might not be the same book. It's it's a very rare book that I'll, every kid will want to read. Uh, but there's so many different books that there's got to be a book for that kid. And uh, when they came to my library, I was down and determined to find something that they would love. And uh, hopefully I did some. Yeah,
0: I got to imagine you did. And I mean, you touch so many lives with these books, I'm sure, because I, I guarantee there's millions of fans like myself that grew up with these books. These books were, you know, I don't want to use that word disparagingly, but these these books were our religion growing up. We look forward to these books. We would break open these books like, oh, man, I love this, you know. Um, but going back just for a second, because there was something I wanted to hit on. You said you were writing 12 books a year at one point? Yeah, for a while.
1: Yes, for for I'm um, not sure how many years, but yeah, I kept Marsha, uh, and Marsha was still teaching at the time, so we it kept us pretty busy. And I was, you know, had my children coming along, and so we we were, uh, we were pretty busy. But um, it, it taught us to write fast. I'm not sure if it taught us to write well, <laughs> but it, it taught us to write fast, and uh, it was it was exciting. It was a lot of fun.
0: With that being said. 12 and 12 months that's a book a month I mean what are what are these books like 60 70 pages maybe a little bit more maybe a little. Uh,
1: yeah yeah Um, about I think 90 with illustrations and stuff so
0: with with that being said you guys don't have time for writer's block I got to (laughs) imagine however however, uh, I got to imagine that you've 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 flirted with with writer's block you and Marsha have I in any, in any creative field, you, you get drained. It's a battery, right? So you can't be at 100% all the time. Um, so what are some of the things that you guys would do to combat that writer's block or get through that writer's block?
1: Well, the nice thing about working with a partner is with when you run out of steam, it's like, Ta-da! it's your turn. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, um, we usually wrote uh, uh, one or two chapters. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would... when when I moved away, we would, we would do alternate chapters. Like I would a lot of times start them and using our outline and our plan, I would write the first two chapters and then I would send them to Marsha and Marsha would like read them over and we'd be kind of like each other's editors Mm -hmm. and she would make suggestions or changes and then write two more chapters. and we'd go back and forth like that. Um, so I had enough energy to do, you know, one or two chapters and then it's like, okay, it's time for you to be creative, Marsha. So, um, I think, um, having that support system really helped because, you know, when, if we ever felt like quitting, which we did sometimes before we, especially before we sold our first story, um, we'd feel like, well, I know I felt like, well, I'm not going to quit. If Marcia's not going to quit, what would she think of me? You know? (laughs) So I I was like, I couldn't, I couldn't quit if she wasn't going to quit. So we were, you know, we supported each other and kept us kept each other going. And if we were kind of down about writing the other one, We had the other one to kind of pick us up a little bit and carry the load and cheer us up and uh because writing is is a very solitary and kind of a lonely kind of a thing you know it's um it is and uh it it can be depressing when you get you know rejections (laughs) which we've got plenty of those um through the years and uh uh i i think it takes a pretty sometimes a pretty tough person to keep going and if you don't have anybody you know, supporting you that can be very hard. Now, I've always belonged to the Society of Children's Book Writers and Illustrators, uh, SCBWI, and um, scbwi.org on uh, the internet. But it's a it's a kind of a great support system too, and they have all these um, uh, local, um, state, uh, regional, um, national, and international. Um, conferences that are really great to go to. So if anybody's starting, um, writing, those are great. Uh, that's a great organization belong to Marsha. I even wrote a book <laughs> about everything we wished we knew when we first <laughs> started writing, we put into this book and it's called writing for kids, the ultimate guide. So <laughs> we wish we had that when we started out, we would have saved a lot of, <laughs> of trouble and heartache.
0: Beautiful. Um when you guys are writing those 12, 12 in a year, and you said you would start the first two chapters, she would send it off and you guys would start bouncing back and forth and you guys would just switch. Were you guys ever writing more than one book at one time?
1: Um, yes, but not the same book. Mm-hmm. Like um, it would be too difficult to write two Bailey school kids books at the same okay. time because you could get things mixed up but mm-hmm. if you were writing two totally separate kind of books that we could do that
0: out of all of the series that you guys have collaborated on and the series that you've wrote you've written what feels like a pair of shoes that you can just slip right into those characters is the bailey school kids is it easy to slip into or do you still find challenges trying to get into that mind- mindset well we
1: you know the Bayley school kids are good fa- friends. They're, yeah. they are definitely good friends, but anytime we were uh, writing uh, a book in a series that maybe we hadn't ri- written recently, we would reread the books in that series to kind of get us in that mindset. And that was very helpful. Um, and I, I, you know, I still do that if I haven't like uh, uh, written s- something in on that level i'll read a lot of books on that level to get myself into that mindset and um, basically though i have a third grade mentality so <laughs> the, i I, <laughs> I don't have any problem usually in that in that area um, people say well do you use like a, a dictionary a special dictionary or something to get the words for the third grade and I'm like no that's kind of that's where I fall <laughs> <laughs> second third grade is really easy for me
0: <laughs> that's the money maker it's my third grade mentality. um going back and, and the only reason I ask this question because I've had a lot of uh, a lot of writers on here for you know tv shows and movies and animators and stuff like that in one show in particular I don't know if you ever saw it or heard about it it's from the er, uh, late 90s early 2000s to the mid 2000s uh, as it's run, but it was a show called Ed, Ed, and Eddie. I don't know if you ever remember oh, yeah. one. Okay. So <laughs> one thing. I have
1: of- kids. I, re- I remember that.
0: <laughs> well, well, tell 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 your kids when you get off here, if, if they want to go and check out my podcast, I've had almost the entire cast and crew on, and it's fun going down memory lane. But I didn't bring that up just to do a shallow plug, Debbie. I brought that up because uh, <laughs> one, of, one of the things I absolutely got a kick out of was one of the writers, his name is Mike Kubat. And I believe it was his daughter that he was driving to a soccer game one time. And they had the entire, almost the entire team with some of the parents in there too. So they had some kids and some parents and his huge SUV. And they were talking about Ed, Ed and Eddie. They didn't know that Mike was the writer and the parents were talking about it like, and they were defecating on it really Ah. bad. Yes, 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 yes. They were, They yes. And then he's just sitting there smiling because he thinks it's funny, right? So, uh, and of course, the only one that knew was the kids because the kids all watched it. And then his daughter is in the car. So she's just like, God, don't say anything. Don't say anything. Don't say, please don't, (laughs) don't say anything, right? So he's telling me this story. And then that led to something else. And then we were talking about what was your favorite letter you ever received from a parent, both hate mail and good mail? And I don't know if it came up on the podcast because he's like, man, I got to think about it. So it might have been something I heard after the after I hit record. uh, But it (laughs) it went into detail about how horrible this show was for kids. The only reason I bring that up, like I said, was you said you got a bunch of rejections. Were they all standard rejections? It was the same. It looked like everybody just copied and pasted it, or did it seem like somebody put some heart and soul into rejecting your books?
1: Oh different books you mean other books besides Bayley yeah school. whenever whenever
0: uh, you would get a reject because you said what was it uh you got like four or six rejections for one of the bailey school kids books oh we yes them?
1: well after we had started writing the bailey school kids for scholastic any rejections we got from them
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh were not form letters they were okay. actual letters with real words (laughs) that were (laughs) that were thought out and (laughs) um not just a standard form letter because i've gotten those as well for different things uh when when i was first starting but uh, i've gotten to the level now that any rejection i get is an actual nice letter (laughs) (laughs) but um there yeah um, when we were first starting out before we um uh had some success, we got plenty of those form letters, and there's, you know, they kind of crush you a little bit, and um, even um, now, when I get letters, I oh, hope my editor's not listening, <laughs> asking for me to change things, I'm like, uh, I, I have to put it, I read it, and then I'm like, oh, oh, you know that's wrong that's wrong and I have to put it away for a little bit and then I'll read it and I'm like um oh, maybe she's got a point there you know <laughs> it's kind of like you know this is your baby and you don't want to change it um but writing is really a collaborative effort mm-hmm. and you know I say that because I've had writing partners for uh, um you know with my my with Marsha and I also wrote two books with my oldest son and so it I, I say that not in, in a over, over, um, just collaborating with them—it's a collaboration with your editor. Mm-hmm. And if you have a good editor, it's a working relationship where you're back and forth. And they're, the only thing you're trying to do is make that book the best it can be. Yeah. And yeah. so, I think if people go in with a chip on their shoulder, like, "Oh, you know, can't change it; it's perfect, right? It the way it is." Well, great for them. It, it, if anybody can write a story and it's great without having to change a thing that's wonderful but you know there's very few people that have that ability i think because there's uh, always i think an opportunity to make a story better and so that's um uh, hopefully what i've learned to do is you know uh, accept uh editors comments and uh but if I'm really firm about something that I really want to do, I've also learned to stand a little bit on my own two feet. I remember one book was called um, ghosts do Stomp in puddles. It was a Bailey school kids, junior chapter book. And um, we, I'd written a line that said, Eddie said, there's no such thing as a potty ghost, which I thought was kind of funny. Yeah. Uh, you know, for yeah. a second year, this, this was for second graders. And my editor said, well, second graders don't say potty. I'm like, I know, but it's funny. And she made me change it to ghosts don't, there's no such thing as a toilet ghost or something like that. Oh. I'm like, I'm like, I'm still mad that I changed that. <laughs> Why did I do that? I should have stuck to my gun. So uh, I think there's some things that, you know, you, you can change and some things you shouldn't change. And that was one thing I wish I hadn't changed.
0: Oh, 100%. And uh, I just started writing. And it always sounds pretentious when I say that. So when I started this podcast, um, during COVID, when we all got sent home from the restaurant, I started this little thing where I was showing people how to cook, right? So I, w- I just needed some I needed some kind of outlet. Because I had heard this quote one time, and I apologize to the fans that have heard me say this multiple times. But there's nothing worse than being a creative person and having nobody to share it with, essentially, like no outlet, right? So like a lot of uh, my friends and colleagues and coworkers that were in the restaurant industry, a lot of us had to do something with food. We had to share it somehow. We had to get all of that, I don't want to say emotion or frustration. We had to get all of that angst out when it came to cooking. We had to share it with something. We had to share it with somebody. So I started this little uh, this little food thing, and it was called the Vanilla Gorilla Kitchen because my original goal was to have a food truck. And then once I had the once wife had the baby, or we found out we were pregnant last year, everything completely changed. I was like, I I don't want to spend any more time. I was in the military for seven and a half years. I already spent enough time away. I don't want to do that with my youngest son now. I was like, that wasn't right for my my oldest one, but it was a job I needed, right? So I I had no choice, Um, and. So I did the vanilla gorilla kitchen and I'm still doing, I'm trying to get back into it. It's just work's been crazy. Um, But one thing I absolutely loved doing was teaching people how to cook because it's a cooking is very personal, right? A lot of people don't like to do it because they don't want to mess up. They don't want to put too much salt in there or burn something because with cooking one bad meal for somebody to make one bad meal, it might completely kill them for cooking uh, forever. Like most people just step away from it. They're like, I don't want this heartache. I don't want this, this, this. I don't want these trials and tribulations. So what I I like to do was just do these little Facebook live videos and teach people everything I've learned since the age of 12 over the last 20 years, what I've learned and with cooking and a lot of people loved it. And then that led to writing recipes and blogs and then it led to this podcast and this podcast led to me writing an article. And the only reason I bring this up is because you're just talking about how it's collaborative or you need people to tell you when something's good and when something's bad. And with food, I always go for the bad right away. I want to know what was so bad about it. I want to know what I could have done to make it better because it's just how my brain works. If I don't knock it out of the park this time, rest assured the next time I do this, it's going to be 10 times better than what I did before. So with writing, I didn't realize like how personal. Like I was going to take any kind of, (laughs) any kind of negative.
1: It it wasn't
0: even, it wasn't even negative. So my, my, my buddy, he's like, Hey, just write an article about one of your favorite cartoons. So I write an article about one of my favorite cartoons. And then he's like, so I had one of my friends that he's completely objective. He's a third party. I've never met him. He's never met me. He's like, I had him read it because he's a fan of cartoons as well. And this is what he had to say. And I'm like, Oh man, I just want to strangle this guy. I want to hit him in the eye. (laughs) I was like, he was, and then, and then, I I put it away for a week or two. I didn't think about it. And then I went back and read his comments and I went back and read my paper or my article. And I was like, man, I know why that one stung so much because everything he said was correct. (laughs) I suck at this, (laughs) but it was my first article. And I, I, I like seeing that. And that's, what's so fun about podcasting and so fun about stuff. When you put something out there, right. With my first podcast of this one, I've been doing this for over a year now. And when I go back and listen to the first couple of podcasts I did, I cringe just listening. I'm like, oh, man, I'm a bumbling idiot there. Like, why couldn't you say, you know that word? Why couldn't you say that? So you start to see, but you see growth. You're like, so then I look three months after I first started. I'm like, oh, man, I'm getting a little bit better. Six months, nine months. Now I'm here to year. Yeah, I still make mistakes, still screw up. I'm still trying to write. <laughs> I'm still trying to write the first draft, be the best draft, right? I don't want to have to do edits. And stuff. <laughs> like you said, it's, it's, yeah, you know, so it's, it's definitely a learning curve.
1: And I think um, kids in school have to learn that too. Uh, and teachers sometimes do they expect like on tests, they, they have to write something and they expect it to be perfect for this mm-hmm. test. Uh, but, you know, y- it's a process. It's not just you write in and it's perfect the first time. It's, it's a process you have to, to, uh, it's layers, you know, adding yeah. layers to make it better. And, and, um, it, yeah, I, I would love it to be perfect the first time. That would be great.
0: <laughs> it, it it really would. And then I never really noticed it until probably now, uh, you know, and this will be like the last, uh, last kid story I say, but, uh, my oldest son, he played basketball for a little while. And that was a sport I played uh, from the age of six until I still play it. I, I won't play anything like too crazy because I don't want to get hurt and then not be able to go to work and then not be able to pay my bills. So I got to make sure I, I don't do anything. crazy. I'm not a kid anymore. Um, so a few years ago, my son picked picked up a basketball and he's like, Dad, I think I want to play. And I was like, all right, cool. No problem. I did this. Uh, I was like, just do what I do. And, and you know, you'll go from there. And then. I started watching him, watching him, watching him. He's like, so how am I doing? I'm like, ah, oh, man, maybe I'm thinking in my head. I'm like, maybe this sport isn't for you. I'm, I'm thinking, I'm like, I, I was like, just watch what I do. I found out that it's so like, especially now in today's day and age, like everybody wants everything to be perfect right at the gate, right? Everybody wants to be, everybody wants somebody to have, have already practiced 10,000 hours of something. Like you should be proficient. You've done this twice. You should know how to do this correctly. <laughs> and I didn't realize it. And I'm like, man, that, that's, that's that's unattainable. You can't come out of the gate first draft. Every Stephen King doesn't come out of the gate first draft. I'm pretty sure at this point in time, I'm pretty sure he's getting on the second one. But that's neither here nor there. I mean, he's, he's going through four and five and six and seven passes. Um, but ladies and gentlemen, just know that anything worth doing is going to take some time to get used to and it's going to take some time to get proficient in and will for sure take some time to master. Bruce Lee had a great quote, and I'm going to butcher it. But here's the gist. He's like, I wasn't afraid of that guy that could do 10,000 different kicks. I was afraid of that guy that did one kick 10,000 times because he built up that proficiency over 10,000 hours. It's the 10,000 hour rule that I was just uh, mentioning earlier. Uh, It takes time to get good at your craft. Um, If it was easy, everybody would do it, right? So, um, (laughs) But as we start to wind down, so I know you said before we had a little, we're a little flub up there, but I know you said you were having two books come out very, very soon. What were those two books called and when did they come
1: out? Well, I just actually had two books come out this summer. Oh, beautiful. Uh, the Bailey school kids uh, had a, the first graphic novel come out. Mm-hmm. Vampires mm-hmm. don't wear polka dots and Pearl Lowe did the adaptation and then sleep over at the haunted museum was number 20 in the mermaid Tale series that i have with simon and schuster and next year there's number 21 in that series the mermaid Tale series has uh, a titanic friendship coming out and i'm pretty excited about that because i've always wanted to have a character with a um, in a wheelchair on the front of a cover of a book and there's going to be a mermaid uh, who is in a wheelchair of sorts on the cover of that book so I'm kind of ex- really excited about that and um there's another graphic novel coming out from scholastic um for called Frankenstein doesn't plant petunias yes. and yes. i've seen the artwork and it's really a lot of fun so i'm uh, pretty excited about that too
0: beautiful and the last thing i always like to throw out there Uh, where can fans of your series come and find you on the social medias and say, I really love this. I can't wait to see this. Or if they just want to come by and say, hey, I like what you did. Where can they find you?
1: Oh, well, I hope uh, everyone will go to debbiedady.com. And if you're a kid listening to this, you can actually write to me on the Kids Talk page. And I answer you every morning of the week of the school work week. I answer you in the Debbie Talk section. So you can uh, get a quick answer to any question you might have, give me suggestions on my website. Uh, Parents can go to my Facebook page, Debbie Dady, facebook.com slash Debbie Dady. And I'm also on Twitter. Uh, Those are the three main places you can contact me or say hi. And um, where I put announcements of of anything that's coming up.
0: Beautiful. And this is the last question. It's the most important question because you you talked about it. And I don't know why I didn't even bring it up because Kentucky is a hotbed for the bat for basketball. So (laughs) are you strictly just college or do you have a pro team you follow? Cause I am a Orlando magic fan myself. So,
1: Oh, you know, I'm, I'm, Kentucky, all the way for yeah. basketball. Sorry. <laughs> uh, it, it's,
0: it's perfectly fine. So,
1: <laughs> but I did live in Colorado for a while in um, Pennsylvania as well. So, you know, a uh, bit of a Steelers, a uh, bit of Eagles, bit of, uh, you know, uh, Dallas Cowboys too. So, yeah, uh, those would be my <laughs> proteins, I guess.
0: <laughs> yeah. Beautiful. Well, Debbie, it's been a blast talking to you. I hope you had fun because I know I did. It was nice to finally put a face to the stuff that I used to read way back in the day and that my kids are going to be reading very, very well, the youngest one he'll be reading in a couple of years, but the oldest one, he's read quite a bit of your stuff. So.
1: Oh, well, thanks, Juliana. It was nice chatting chat with you.
0: Anytime. Well, she's been Debbie. I've been Julian. It's been the what's in my head podcast and it's been another huge piece of your childhood. Good night. <laughs> Bye. Thanks again for checking out the what's in my head podcast. If you're digging what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating. That will help other fans of animation and pop culture find the show. Don't forget to smash that subscribe button, tell a friend, and I'll see you guys and gals next week. Good night.